Hello and welcome to the Debug Log number 53. Today's episode is a different format than we've ever tried before. Uh, it's all about Siege. It's the Siege 2016 recap. And if you don't know what Siege is, it's a big uh, game dev, game expo conference that they hold once a year in Atlanta, Georgia, where most of us are from. Uh, Eduardo and Zach got a chance to take part in different aspects of the conference, and they are also there for most parts of every day. And the different format, what I was talking about, is that Eduardo took the microphone and went and got some interviews and talked to the people who were giving talks and people who were showcasing their games there. So we're going to cut in between some of those interviews and us discussing it, and it's pretty fun, great discussion, and you will enjoy it, hopefully. So without further ado, this is the Debug Log, episode 53. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you into it. Okay, I was like, I'm trying to figure out how exactly. I, I got you, I got you, baby. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm, don't worry. Cool, my babies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> how, how I can handle you? Oh, yeah, God. you can. You two are crazy. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. All right. You're listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name's Andrew Curry. I'm Zach Schneider. And I'm Eduardo Castillo Fernandez. It's just the Georgia boys tonight. Yeah, I totally forgot <laughs> Abina wasn't with us. I was like dead silent for about a second. Yeah, it's all the all the Debug crew still left in Atlanta. <laughs> it's, it's who's doing the show tonight. The advanced and, crew, we call it. And that's, a, that's topical for the night because we're going to go all in on Siege, the big... Uh, conference that what does siege stand for <laughs> we should look this up before we started it okay. anybody siege nothing i hear typing you guys went we to got it the Googles. Yeah, keep, keep talking <laughs> we're looking for <laughs> anyway siege it's a big conference they have here in atlanta once a year it's like our version of of unite or dice or something or gdc it's like a lot of developers and um okay different I, got it, I got it all right Southern what is it interactive entertainment and game expo there you go. There you go. We're on the spot with our it's journalism. It's a long name, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they have it every year. It's right around where I live, actually, too. Um, I went. In, we all went a couple years ago. And, Eduardo, you've been to a few of them, right? No, but, no, no. This is my first time. Oh, okay. So, tonight we're going to get into that. Uh, Zach and Eduardo went. Zach even gave a talk at one of the days. Um, we'll do that. But first, before we get started, we want to talk about iTunes real quick. If you haven't done it yet... Uh, go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps our visibility. It helps us creep up the polls because that's how they judge it, just based on reviews, which is a weird system. But as we creep up the polls, we'll actually go and hire and get people to see us and then spread it to more developers. And it's all good. You know, it helps us get out there. And if you don't yeah. like iTunes, download it, rate it, and have the joy of deleting iTunes. <laughs> you know, some people might like that. So, <laughs> so do that. It'll help us out. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about it. Siege. Uh, it's it's a conference. It's, it's it's like a three day. It's usually over the weekend. It usually starts maybe Thursday night a little bit, but it's usually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we were lucky enough. Zach had a ticket because um, he was a speaker. He's a big wig, a speaker this year. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Eduardo, they were nice enough to give us offer us some press passes for the debug log, which is awesome. That's a first. We want to thank all them, Andrew Greenberg, and all them for. Uh, allowing us to have those and eduardo made the most of them and you showed up on the first day on friday didn't you yeah um 
Yeah, now that you mention Andrew Greenberg, I really have to uh, thank him. And um, he's the uh, director of the Georgia Game Developer Association. Yeah, and the guys yeah. organizing um, the event because they really uh, like helped me out to organize all the uh, interviews and uh, make sure that everything was was running perfectly with the debug log. So yeah, like you said, Andrew, um, I went on Friday um, after work and I was lucky enough to uh, made it to the keynote where they interviewed Ron Miller. Um, so for you that don't know who Ron Miller is, um, he's a game developer and designer. He made uh, Myst. One of pretty the big. Yeah, <laughs> the best-selling game in the 20th century. And he also made um, Riven and he just finished uh, Abduction. It's a game that where you are in a, in different alien planets and they have human elements and you have to explore. Um, he's working on it for VR too. So um, and it's the same kind of thing. It's like those old games because I remember Mist. I was a little young or also a little dated out of. I didn't get a PC till way later, like when I was in high school. <laughs> so I think this is like mid nineties, early nineties, but. I, but Miss is historically important because it had these photorealistic environments and it was this adventure game that was really immersive and had this mystery and all this stuff. It's a lot like that Witness game we played this year. We had a lot to, you know, it had a lot to pay to the Mist, uh, to, uh, influences because it felt like that. But Mist was a big deal. It's a huge deal in computer gaming. So that, I was, I was floored when you talked about that you got a chance to actually talk to him. Yeah. Actually, I'm guilty. I didn't know who he was before the talk. Well, you're a youngin'. You don't. You yeah, probably weren't so born. Everybody it. was <laughs> like, "Oh, Ron Miller, Ron Miller," and I was like, "Well, let me go to the keynote. I don't know who he is." And uh, he blew him. Who blew me my mind when uh, he was showing uh, like his um, successes. He was in a for Riven. He was in a uh, Apple keynote, and I was like, "What, Steve Jobs?" presenting Ron Miller, I was like, wait, 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 this is, this is a, a tough guy. Yeah, and, it came out um, in the Mac first, like in 1993, so you guys yeah. are like three or four years old, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, when he said that Miss was the best-selling game in the 20th century, I was like, damn. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and he's also in the Hall of Fame of Game Development. I don't know what the name of that institution is, but it's similar to the Hall of Fame. So one of the best thing of Ron Miller was that he's an awesome person. He was super kind to everybody and yeah, just he wasn't in a rush. So he was like, "Okay, what's your name?" like and talking to everybody like any other person. You know that right. sometimes people when they have success, they are like, "Oh no, I'm a big deal, so I'm not going to talk to you like I, I don't have time." But no, he was super cool. Hello everyone, this is Eduardo from the Debug Log. I'm at Sish. This is after the keynote and I have the pleasure to talk to Rand Miller, creator of Mist, Riven, and Abduction. So, um, Rand, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh my goodness, I'm old. I have gray hair. I've been in games for a long, long time. Like, back before, back when I had to play games on big mainframe computers. So I've, I've been around um, for a while. I don't know if that makes me smarter or dumber, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about um, Abduction. I know that this is your latest title and um, 
we really want to help you uh, spread the word. So, well, it's yeah, it's interesting. We had we've been doing games a long time, and we did some kids games, and we did Mist, which was you know huge hit, much to our surprise and Riven. Um, but that was a long time ago, and we decided we wanted to try to recapture that feeling that Mist gave people, but with new technology, you know, whole new technology and new, uh, um, you know, the build a world that used real time 3D in ways that weren't just wasn't just a shooter. Um, so anyway, abduction was that. So it's 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 that same feeling being just dropped into a situation that you. You don't have a clue why you're there. You, you're not sure what went on, but very quickly you realize, oh my goodness, something big was here and I'm part of the story now. That's pretty awesome. So I know with so many uh, hits um, under your belt, you, will probably, you probably have uh, a bunch of challenges that you have faced um, throughout your career. So what's your biggest challenge? Oh man, the biggest challenge I think is... Um, is trying not to let failure uh destroy you you know it's it's like you have to you have to realize that life is going to throw failures at you and we've we've had that numerous times i've been in business for 30 years uh, and we've had publishers go bankrupt we've had ideas that weren't you know necessarily great we've had people just stop paying us but we always tried to manage to go okay well let's solve that and learn from it and move on to the next thing let's keep trying i love that type of story it's like uh you get beaten up but you stand up again yeah never give up yeah. that's yeah. that's awesome so and what's the the your project or your game that you're most proud of oh boy um they all have parts that i'm proud of i think um I'm I'm really proud of one of our largest projects. It was Uru Mist Online. It was it was gigantic. We spent all our money. It basically used all our money and it failed miserably. But it doesn't matter. I I am incredibly proud of what we pulled off. We actually did what we planned to do and built this massive online experience that was tied into the Mist storyline and it was it was incredible. I it it didn't ever Um, succeed because of I think situations outside of our control but I don't care it was awesome and then I think from a, an abduction point of view I'm pretty proud of abduction just because of how much game and real estate and experience we were able to build in for a fairly small budget it when I look back at how you know how big we made the game for a small experience it was kind of amazing so Um, awesome. So to finish this quick interview, and by the way, guys, this is just going to be a preview of um, our interview with Ryan in the debug log because um, I already talked to him and his, he agreed to be in the show, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have a lot of fun. So to finish, I already asked you this before, and I asked him, what's your advice for the people that are studying in the game development industry or the people that want to start? And he said, Um, quit and go to work in a bank. <laughs> Do you want to say anything else? No, no, no. It's it was kind of a joke, but um, this is a hard industry. The game industry is hard. It's it's moving targets and 
platforms and technology and art and music and and tying all those things together in amazing ways and so you have to be prepared to fail um but be proud of what you're doing be passionate about it um if you if you really have something you want to go for it's as good a time as ever to be in the game industry because it's been a long time since just a few people um, with a passion for something have been able to build an interactive experience and get it out to the and get it out for sale. This, this is a really cool time to be able to do that again. It's it's like when I started, when people in a garage could do this, you can do it again. All right, so you got to talk to Ron Miller on the first day, but that's all you did because I guess that Friday night they just do the keynote and it's it's not a lot of stuff. I guess they have the parties. <laughs> I love about the sieges. I've never been to these things, but Unite and GDC and some of these other things, they have like a party one of the nights. Siege is like, no, we're going to have a party every night, <laughs> which I appreciate. That's that because we, we've talked about Unite before about how the party nights are not just because you're drinking and stuff, but also it feels like everybody's kind of talking and that's when you get the most networking and, you know, meet new friends and stuff. So. Anyways, it, it really helps build the community. Yeah, that's why I always said that the United should have it the first night, you know, because it really breaks the ice. Yeah. Because that you really like, oh, I saw you last night. We were bowling together. You know, that it, it becomes fun. So anyways, second day, Saturday morning, it already showed up bright and early. What would you see there? Yeah, on the first talk of the Saturday, I went to see uh, Harrison Pink's talk about um, making games starting with feelings, which was amazing. Because it follows like the same philosophy that we have here in the podcast, like why like questions that you ask yourself about um, your game and why you should make it a way uh, this way or another one. So one of the things that he introduced was uh, the feelings in in games, and I'm not talking about yeah make your player happy or anything like that. It's just go a step further, like what. Uh, situation do you want your player to be involved and what he should feel in that moment and he was um, putting an example of a game where he worked um, yeah I forget the name my bad um, that's like we talked with Jesse Shell about that That I mean, I gave the Star Wars example how like you approach those projects or like that's like going into that what is the experience like the game is the designer is making the experience. The experience is not the game, right? So you go from it from a standpoint. It's the same exact thing. That's why I love when we talk to different people that are successful and they all have the same ideas. They're just called different things. But where it's like you go into like, what do I want them walking away, like experiencing and feeling and not like, I want these four things in my game, you know? Yeah. But he was talking about um, like, for example, your player feeling like, hey, I cannot trust anybody. Right. And the way you do that is, for example, in your... Um, the voice that is talking to you sometimes it can it can lie to you. So what you're seeing is not what he's really saying. So you you feel like you don't even trust like uh, the what, how do you yeah the narrator. There you go. Unreliable but also, narrator. But also the feeling of the controllers, like the mechanics of your game. So that type of, of things integrated to your games and how they relate to the um, theme and mechanic. Um he explained why it is important, and he introduces a couple of terms like um, motivational parity, which is the uh, empathy between the player and the avatar, mm-hmm. and and uh, this type of um, design uh, promotes the 
that empathy between uh, the avatar and the player and that they care um, about the same thing. They care for the same thing. Um, he he. Uh, one of the examples that he uses is in The Walking Dead. Oh, by the way, if I didn't mention this. Harrison Pink is a, a game designer that uh, works for Hangar 13. And he was one of the designers in uh, Mafia 3. And yeah, also, that just came out this past week, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're Mafia flying high now. He's relaxing. some of the uh, Walking Dead games. <laughs> yeah, he did, he did a, like the second season or third season of Walking Dead, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, another things that he mentioned is how to create strong feelings. Hello everyone, this is Eduardo, and today we have the pleasure to talk with Harrison Pink. Um, he works at Hangar 13, and he has worked in um, Walking Dead games, and um, he also worked in the um, new Mafia 3 game. So, Harrison, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, I started working in games in 2008. I started at a company in Atlanta called Thrust Interactive. I was there for about three and a half years. I got hired by Telltale Games in 2011. I worked on The Walking Dead, uh, the DLC episode, 400 Days, Walking Dead Season 2, and I was always also the, uh, the co-creator of Tales from the Borderlands. So this is right after uh, the talk that Harrison made about um, designing your game, um, starting with feelings. And... This is going to be a different interview, just to let you know, because this was too good. I have so many questions that um, it's going to change the format of the, the interview. So tell us, what do you, your definition of feelings in games? So the definition of feelings in games based on the, the talk that I just gave is the feeling that your player is going to have while playing the game that like mirrors the feeling that they would have if the things they're doing in the game were real. So let's give a Minecraft an, ex- an example. So let's say they're walking around in Minecraft and they're harvesting wood and making tools and, and fighting monsters. And how would that feel in the real world? Are they you know chopping down trees with a, lo- a log and hiding in a cave when a monster comes? And how do they feel like they would feel in the real world doing the things they're doing in a game? Nice. So, based on the definition, why do you think it's important to start developing your game and taking the, the, the first decision of your game based on feelings? If you start with feelings, it helps you determine the theme and the mechanics that you need early. So, instead of starting the, your development with, I want this to be a shooter where you shoot zombies, if you ask, well, I want the player to feel scared and alone, and I want them to feel like they have no friends, and they're, the world is dangerous, and they could die at any moment, it helps you figure out what mechanics do you need to really push that feeling? What theme do you need? What story do you need that will help you push that feeling? And it makes sure that every moment they're playing that game, they will feel that feeling. Awesome. Also, in your talk, you mentioned um, some concepts like core fantasy and uh, motivational party. How... What are those and how they relate to feelings? So core fantasy, very simply, is what are you asking the player to pretend to be? Uh, in Mafia 3, the core fantasy is, you know, you're, you're a criminal building a criminal empire. That's what that game's core fantasy is. What, what is the player thinking about that they're pretending to be in that moment? Uh, and that is really connected to, core f- to the feeling of the game because, again, like, what, what is the feeling you want the player to have in that game? Well, the feeling we want them to have is they're, on, they're going on a revenge story to take out someone that, that murdered their family and destroy their crime empire and build their own crime empire on top of that. And that feeds very closely into that core fantasy. 
And motivational parody is just the idea that the player and the character, the avatar they're, they're embodying in the game, they want the same things. So in The Walking Dead, both Lee Everett, the character, and you, the player, both want to save Clementine. So when Lee is given a gun and said, protect Clementine by shooting those zombies, the player also wants to do those things. So when they get the opportunity to do those things, they're excited to do that. They want to do that. They're not fighting against doing something they don't want to do. Nice. Um, so just last question. How um, developers or game designers can create strong feelings in their games? If you just start early by asking, what is the feeling we want the player to have? And why? Um, you can early on figure out what theme and mechanics you should use to, to, to push those things. The, if you work with your theme and mechanics to make sure they're not um, getting in each other's way, if you say, well, the theme is about uh, being alone, but these mechanics are all about having a companion or, or finding a companion and talking to people, uh, then those theme and mechanics are going to fight with each other and the feeling is going to be very confusing. It's not going to be very strong. Not that all of your sort of guns are firing in the same direction. So if you make sure that your mechanics early and your theme early are, are all pointed towards a specific feeling you want to have, then you can look at a mechanic and say, well, we don't need this. It's actually fighting against the thing we want the player to feel. So after the talk, I also had the pleasure to talk to Abby Jocelyn. Uh, she's a business coach that focuses on um, startups, tech startups, uh, and in this in this case, uh, she was full of game startups. So uh, I wanted to talk to her because it's a it's a different um, point of view in game development. We always look at it from the developer point of view where we say, yeah, we're really passionate about it, but we never focus on the business and the business side. So I wanted to talk to her and it was amazing. She gave me some tips and uh, what problems are, are um, her clients have uh, or they don't have in mind when they're uh, creating their um, indie game. And by the way, Abby Jocelyn uh, not only is a business coach, she's a former Atlanta chapter president of the Georgia Game Development Association, and she helps organize and run SISH. Hello, everyone. This is Eduardo. And today I have the pleasure to talk to Abby Jocelyn. She's a business coach. And uh, this is going to be a different interview, guys. This is the first interview that we're going to talk um, about the business standpoint in game development. So... First, um, before we go to the meat of the interview, Abby, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks. I'm a business coach based here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am pretty much a business nerd. Like pe Some people get really excited talking about like their cats, their dogs. Well, I do that too, but I also just get really excited talking to people about their businesses because when you really drill it down, a business, yeah, you have suits, you have money, you have numbers, all that scary stuff, but businesses really are about people and about their hopes and their dreams and what they want to make. And especially in the game industry, like people are generally coming together to make some really neat project that they care about. And it's really just wonderful to be able to talk to people about those dreams and say, okay, so what do you need to get there? And like, is there any way that I can help? Or can I point you in the direction of some resources that would help you get there? Because in, much as I love games, it can be a pretty brutal industry sometimes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's not the easiest and it's a still it's still an emerging tech field in a lot of ways you still have a lot of companies who are stuck in the ramp up hire a lot of people fire them all cycle and it doesn't have to be that way just with good planning and good like financial forecasting can help so much with that sometimes 
but I just I love talking about business. It's fun. Like <laughs> I'm just like, oh, we could talk about business. That's neat. So <laughs> it's not everyone's default response. I don't I don't know why. But oh, that's awesome. Um, so what are the steps that they need to know or they have to follow when they're indies open their own um, studio? I think one of the single biggest problems that I think people run into is that they just aren't don't plan well. So before people do anything, I think real people they really need to sit down and be very realistic about saying, okay, what do we want to make? How big is this going to be? Is that doable with the resources that we have? Or can we get more resources in some way? Do we need to scale back the vision of this? Um, if we want to make money off of this, do we want to make money off of this game? Is this going to become a company? Or is this just something that a project that we love? And we just want it to be out there, but we're not really worried about like, Uh, where's the money coming from? Yeah. Like, how do we handle all the launch? We really just want to make this thing that's fun. And a lot of that, just sitting down and being very realistic, saying, okay, so is this Candy Crush? Is this like World of Warcraft? I mean, like, the ex like those are two very extreme differences. And knowing where you fit into, the eco into that kind of ecosystem and saying, are there a dozen games just like us or are there thousands of games just like this can also help to say, okay, well, is this going to actually make us some money or potentially some money? Is it using tech? Um, is it going to be on a platform that everyone has? Is, are you trying to get into the mobile market, which is really crowded right now, or maybe VR since that's like the next great thing? And just being really realistic and sitting down, playing with some numbers, saying if we want this to actually become a business or a financial success, or or at least just break even, having some kind of a business plan where you say here are the people that are going to be working on this. Like we have the appropriate skill set to create the game. We have some people on board who understand some of the, the, the marketing and the finance so we can launch it successfully so that we can, we, so we have somebody who's a good project manager who can keep us on track so that we don't spend extra weeks or months just bogged down endlessly and just do a lot of planning and look for gaps, look for, look for areas of weakness so you can fix them. I mean, it's fine to have a gap in your team if you know that that gap is there because yeah. you plan around it. Um, I mean, I, I actually recommend that people just do some kind of a really basic business plan because it really forces you to sit down and kind of work through sort of like a who, a who, what, when, where, how, why approach to the game and make sure that everyone's on the same page so that you don't have someone saying, oh, wait, this is a hobby project. I was just going to disappear, <laughs> but I just worked on it for a year and we never sorted out who owns the intellectual property rights. And yeah, y'all can't finish the game now. And, and just, just planning through and like working through a basic business plan can really help with some of that stuff. And talking to a lot of people in the, the industry and getting that feedback can be really important sometimes. Well said. Um, Avi, well, I guess you tackle a couple of questions over there. Um, what are the most common mistakes that you see people um, make in like indies in general because you know game developers tend to be really passionate and we're like oh yeah we're gonna make that game and we love it it's gonna be awesome the best game in the world but in you don't stop to think about your your business and your uh, uh, business plan and any of that stuff so what are the common mistakes that you see they make well for this one Okay, let's let's so let's assume that I'm talking about an indie studio. So it is a company. It's not just four friends making a game. It's a company. People want to get paid enough to have food on the table 
occasionally some sleep, maybe time off to go on a date here and there. I mean, we're assuming that they're part of a business and that they want it to be like financially sustainable. And I think, and it's a, and it's hard as an indie. It is so hard because you're working with very constrained resources, and you really do have to just get stuff out there. And I think one mistake is trying to make things perfect instead of good enough. I mean, one of my favorite local examples of an indie studio that I think does this really well is Puzzles by Joe with Joe Cassava, um, because he has always been very good and very disciplined about putting together a game. And then, you know, he doesn't try to make it perfect and perfectly polished. He tries to get it to a point where it's playable, it's fun, it looks okay, and a little bit more. But then he just says, you know what, we need to publish this, we need to get it out so that we can move on to the next thing so that we can keep putting out games and making things that people want to play. The priorities are fun and done so that people can play it. Because if you sit in, if you sit around on a project for too long, you're just like, it has to be perfect, the artwork has to be good, the sound has to be good. I mean, it's, it's never going to be good. I mean, pr- perfection is a myth. It's a beautiful myth. Yeah. It would be lovely if it were something we could actually attain, but it's, it's kind of a bullshit myth, and it really <laughs> screws us up sometimes. Um, so that's one mistake. Uh, for indie studios, and particularly indie studios that also need to support themselves with contract work externally, it takes a lot of really, really good project management and planning. Um, I'd like to compare it to like grant funding. So if you're a researcher, pretty much as soon as you finish writing a grant application, as soon as you submit it, you have to start the next application. Because you might get that first grant or you might not. But as soon as you stop chasing other work and bringing in other projects, you're going to have a dead dead zone where you don't have the work. Yeah. And that's one of the things that really contributes to the higher fire cycle in the game industry is if you, 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 have, you have people and then suddenly you don't have work and you don't have a way to pay these people, so you have to fire them. And, but on the other hand, if you can really master that kind of two-three shuffle where you always have two to three projects going on at slightly different stages, and if you can manage that very effectively and work really well with your team, and like, like that actually can be a sustainable model because you do have work going on and you can actually afford to keep the doors open. And, I mean, and, and that to me like, says, yeah, you know, planning and looking at your business model and trying to figure out realistically, again, how do you pay people? Because I have this deep-seated belief that if you're, if you're in the industry, you should be able to make a decent living. You should be able to have a life. You should be able to have interests that aren't just sleeping at the studio and waking up in the morning and starting it all over again. I mean, there are crunch times when that happens. But yeah, I mean, work-life balance is not a myth, or it shouldn't be. And there are ways that studios can help support that it's just it's tricky and it takes so much work on the back end and it's not the exciting fun creative work of actually making the game well thank you very much you're here guys so pay attention um is there anything that you want to um advise our listeners to do um in their journey making their games make friends uh in in a nutshell it's it's well i mean make friends and Pay attention to relationships and because so much of being successful in any business really is about getting to know different people whether like in your social circles, beyond your social circles. Get out, meet people, and just be willing to invest time and to stay in touch with them because you never know who you're going to want to hire or who might have, say, a contract for you or just be an interesting person. And the more you can just stay, like, just, just throw out as many 
possible networking connections as you can. Go to events, network within your industry, network outside of your industry. Uh, because you never know when there are going to be really interesting collaborations. Like if you're a game developer, who knows? Maybe if you talk to someone at a hospital, there might be an interesting Games for Health project that you could work on or some really interesting collaborations like that. So just make friends and treat them as friends and don't just say, hey, give me money all the time. Yeah. That, that never goes over well. And then, you, then your reputation is shot and nobody wants to work with you. But do good work. Don't overpromise what you can actually deliver and just make friends. All right, besides the talks at Siege, it's just like any other um, conference and expo. They have an actual showroom. And I know the showrooms usually, if people haven't been to shows before, there's just a general huge area where people have booths and vendors. A lot of times it's either, depending on the type of conference it is, if it's more developer-centric, a lot of times like at Unite, they have a lot of middleware, you know, these people selling stuff. Like, what's um. What is that? Yeah, you just have like Photon didn't have a booth at Unite and other people like that. And then you have Google. But then you have, if it's like this, the Siege is kind of in a weird area because it's in between being like a, it's open to the public, right? So it's between a developer conference and just kind of general games expo. And general games expos, they have a lot of games and showing. And being this a regional one, you kind of want to see the locals, you know, the local studios, which we have a good handful of bigger ones, right? Starting to grow and grow now. So they have a showroom where they show those off, and they also have game area and stuff. But I remember Zach and I went to this, the the one we went to, because you also talked a couple years ago on one of these panels. But we went to the showroom, and we, a couple years ago, we went like late on a Sunday when they're shutting down, but we were a little underwhelmed just because it felt like, yeah, we know the two or three big developers in Atlanta, and you go there, it's like, yep, yeah, they have two booths. <laughs> those are the two, you know, it didn't feel like... It just, compared to Unite, which we just had come from, right? And you guys, but you just mentioned you guys came back on Monday and you were super stoked. You said the showroom was actually pretty cool and it's getting really it involved. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It, so it, how it does it compare, Zach? It was absolutely packed. Like so, I mean, again, it you can't really compare this to Unite because Unite is is hosted. Yeah, by and it's not fair. And it's not fair to you know. Exactly. I want to preface that a few years ago because it's small. It's like this. It's, the thing is growing. Not what I was so happy to hear you say is that. It's really growing. It's yeah, really absolutely. taking off. So whereas we went like two, it was two or three years ago, I think we went and it was like three booths. This time there was more booths, and there, I think there was uh, seven or eight different booths in there, and it was so packed you you could barely squeeze by anybody because everybody was crowding the booths. So they had um, Blue Mammoth, they had uh, Thrust Interactive, they have um, High Res was there. So a lot of the the big local uh, game companies, they also had a giant section for indie games, which was really really cool. So they had student uh, projects. Uh, one gentleman oh, had it. Go ahead. So they did it like what they do at GDC or PAX, where they have like a indicate is what they called it. <coughs> Those where they really get uh, they, and, and even I guess to the showcasing at Unite, where they try to because because the, the indie people can't afford a booth, so they get those people and it's like, hey, show it off together in this one area. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a group called Indie Cluster that organized that that group of people, like the indie games. Very cool. Yeah, so it was it was super awesome seeing seeing all those uh, student projects and everything. And, and I think one one gentleman he had the uh, the Hololens there, so he had made a student project, oh. and they they basically just gave him a Hololens to demo it, which is super cool. And you tried it for the first time. What do you think? Um, it was it was really cool. I think it's a little bit uh, at least the hardware is a little bit farther off off in maybe one or two hardware iterations. Um, but the game that he had was actually really, really cool. So it was basically like, uh, like 
Guitar Hero, but you're looking at the notes to to so you're basically clicking on the notes on the beat, but you look at it. So it, the, all the notes are out in 3D space. It was really really cool. Yeah, it feels like when Edward and I Edward and I tried it like six months ago. Zach, I don't know if you knew then, but <laughs> we tried it. It's weird because I always said, yeah, the field of view is limited. I was like, who cares? It's so awesome. And you realize it is like having your phone about a foot in front of your face. And that's the field of view, basically. But it's still the tech under that. When I experienced it, I was like, even though this is pretty limited, all they got to do is expand it because the underlying tech was super solid, I thought. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how you, you touch and interact with the, with the objects in the in the virtual environment is, is really good. Yeah, and the fact that it's like wireless and you walk into different rooms, like, oh, there's something else in that room. You yeah, know? That, that was super cool. Like, it, he had a clicker with it, like, so a physical like uh remote but you didn't have to use that like for instance when he started it up he just tapping his finger in midair you're like what are you, what are you doing he's like oh i'm interfacing with the device like, that's freaking cool <laughs> that's yeah. what andrew and, and, and i did like, it was like minority report yeah yeah exactly right it was really <laughs> cool when we got it um uh, we could uh grab objects like you double tap them and uh you could move them uh and rotate object it was freaking awesome yeah, the thing I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this when we talked about the talked about it before. When we tried our demo, it had like a wasn't it like some kind of weird uh, snow thing? I, I don't know. It, the three D models in it were interesting and cool, but the the big thing they always showed of the Hololens was the a, like video screens playing like on your wall, and it's you. Oh, I got to go to the kitchen and like the screen, so you're watching the football game and it follows you to the kitchen. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, that's gonna be. But they, you guys didn't see it here, but we saw it when we when we demoed it and. The actual the video playing in it is really good. Like you imagine they increase the like the resolution of that headset. It's like it'll it could get rid of the TV industry. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't need a huge TV. Because if you just yeah, have one you I mean obviously the you have, size. Yeah, I mean obviously if you had people over and stuff, but if you're just by yourself and you're like, I want to watch an eight foot tall TV screen watching this movie, you could. Because it was pretty great quality. So that's really neat. Damn, I could watch Netflix. Yeah, you watch you watch Luke Cage that big. Uh, not Luke Cage. I already Iron saw Fist. Luke Cage. Iron, Iron Fist. Fist. There you yeah. go. Uh. Zach, you also got to try the vibe for the first time. What do you think of that? It it is incredibly immersive. I will say. So, uh, some of what what I do at work is I, I make uh, virtual environments for like anxiety based disorders for for exposure therapy. So one of the projects I've worked on is a fear of heights project, right? So one of the demos they had on this vibe was basically just this platform that's up in the clouds and putting that on and just kind of like standing at the edge of this platform gave me such a sense of vertigo. Like, Oh <laughs> crap, I could fall off this ledge and I would probably die. Right. I'm like, wait, no, I'm in a headset standing on a solid floor with a wall in front of me. Yeah, so the demo that I tried, Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it was just, it was so incredibly immersive in, in the very fact that you can just take a step forward rather than having to use a remote to walk was was so intuitive and, and so uh, just breakthrough. Can you imagine they had that, <coughs> they did it with, they did it with an Oculus with, I know they used to do in these Game of Thrones experience, the wall or whatever, <coughs> where you put the Oculus on and you get into it. If you watch, won't watch Game of Thrones, there's a huge wall. It's in the north, and they get in this cage, and it's like a big elevator. They had like a physical elevator you'd get in, and then you'd like you put the headset on. And it's like you're going, but they'd like just shoot icy air at you and stuff. 
I was like, that's pretty cool. But I think they did a Vive one for that movie, The Walk. You know, about the guy that, uh, God, what's his name? He went across the World Trade Centers, tightrope. And you'd, yeah, I think you do the Vive in room space, and they would have like a big steel cable on the floor, but with these fans blowing in your face too, and you'd literally walk. Like, imagine that for fear. Yeah. So, yeah, it's re- that room space thing is revolutionary when you, you know, when you really try it out, and especially the two and the two wands. The uh, yeah, I, I got to play a little bit with those wands just for uh, like teleporting the, the, the player purposes. But even then, I could just feel like so he held them out for me to grab. So, I can't. I have the headset on. I can't see where the the things yeah. are, except for the fact that they're displayed in real space. But I'm like, okay, let me reach for it, and I reach for it, and the, it's exactly where I think it's going to be, <laughs> yeah. because because those cameras are tracking in real time, and it's displaying in the headset, and it was just, it it was something else. That so was I know- a demo that from um, games that work. Yes, the one. Oh, okay. I know, so I know when you're going to get a, a vibe, when you're going to finally just excuse it and get it. Yeah. Now that you've tried one, is next year when Fallout 4 vibe version comes out. Oh, yeah, I no, that's mine. <laughs> Zach, we'll lose Zach for months. <laughs> like, so much for saving for my wedding. I'm, yeah. I'm spending money on a vibe. Yes. What did you see on that floor, daughter, that you like? Uh, one of the things that I love was um, this game, Brohalla by Blue Mammoth. Not only because of the game. Well, it was a fighting game, like a yeah. 2D platform fighting game. It's kind of like uh, Super Smash neat. Brothers. Yeah, but they have like a huge booth with these big weapons, like <laughs> big foam size. like cosplay weapons. Oh, really? Yeah, they had like, like a big hammer, and what was the other one? Uh, a sword? Yeah, I think the other one was a sword, but the the hammer was taller than is probably six and a half feet tall. And the, the actual <laughs> was hammer awesome. piece was probably a little bigger than the size of my chest. Like it was. See, huge. that's awesome. You got to do that if you're gonna have a booth. You got to have fun stuff like that. Yeah, I think that was the best booth in in the showroom. But um, in addition to that, I liked um, the demo with the vibe for that um, games that work did. Yeah, like said uh, mentioned, it was a demo where you try the vibe and. Um, you have to basically brush the teeth of a, a blue creature with a big mouth. <laughs> so yeah, it was I, I, a, it was a short demo, but you really got the the idea of what virtual reality in uh, room scale feels. It, yeah, it was it was super cool. I'm I'm not sure, but I think it was actually a blue tooth that had teeth. I'm not. Oh really? I, I think it That's was. That's kind of scary. That's like a blue night- bowler. Yeah, That's I'm like, stuff wait, of nightmares right there. Inception. <laughs> like, yeah. And the toothbrush had teeth? <laughs> All right. So, um, I like those, but I, I also tried some of the um, indie games in uh, the indie cluster section, uh, right beside the, the um, Smite video. Damn man, you can you can really tell the difference between a triple A game and and the rest. Like yeah. Smite, not Smite, uh, High Res had this huge screen with a uh, uh, it was a video. It was a fully rendered cinematic. Yeah, a cinematic from um, Smite, and it looked awesome. Just like the characters, the action. It was like ah, yeah, I Smite, fall in love. <laughs> Smite was fun. Zach and uh, 
I think all of us except for you, Eduardo, got into that and it kind of became a problem for a while. Where we were <laughs> until two in the morning on work nights, and we have to stop playing this game because <laughs> of Obina's enabling us. So, but yeah, Smite's Just fun. One more guys, Come yeah, on. Smite's a lot of fun. Well, that's cool. Yeah, Go one ahead. of the of the um, indie games that I tried was um, Binary Dash, and I actually uh, interview um, his developer. I think there's more than one developer. The one that I uh, interviewed was Brad B.A. And they actually won uh, the the first place as the best indie game in the showroom. Yeah, so Binary Dash is Stargarden Games' first project. Um, it's in development for Android and iOS. Um, it is a level-based runner game where you're basically side-scrolling, running to the right, and you jump and then you can flip upside down to run along the floor and that's kind of its unique mechanic so um, tell us a little bit about the challenges that you have faced developing this game so far yeah so there's definitely been a lot of challenges it's our first project and um, you know we all have first or we all have full-time jobs and some of us are full-time students so finding the time has been a challenge um, but you know we're, we're in the last 10% I'd say of development and so at this point um, our biggest challenges are optimizing the game for different devices since there are almost 13,000 different Android devices alone, <laughs> which is insane. I know. So making sure that it works on all those. Um, so it's been a lot of fun despite those challenges. But. Yeah, great. So enough of the challenges. What's the favorite part of the game or what you're most proud of in the game? Um, I am, I'm really proud of the flip mechanic and I'm proud of the level design and the um, all the characters we have. I think that it's just a very fun, inviting, colorful game. Um, and uh, I'm just really proud of how that came together. So Awesome. So um, at the end, we usually uh, ask you about um, an advice for other developers. What can you say to beginners or, yeah, mostly beginners? Sure. Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, find some people that you enjoy working with that have skills that complement yours um, and even if you have to work full-time part-time job if you're a student just really take that as much free time as you can to learn new tools and um, you know practice your skills and even if it takes a while to get there um, you're getting a lot of experience on the way a big piece of advice I'd give is to scope your first project small um, don't try to start with something too big when you're a beginner because um, really the the process of finishing a small project you'll learn a lot. Um, so that would be my advice. There you go, guys. Now you know. So until the next one, see you. All right. So going into the last day of the event, both of you got uh, honored in different ways, right? You both got to take up. You just like, screw this. Just go into Siege. We're going to take part in it. <laughs> and so it started with you, Eduardo, because you got to take place in a portfolio review, right? Or contribute. Yeah, um, it was actually a, a really great experience um, because I had the pleasure to um, share a table with Dale Flowers. He's uh, the, lead the lead programmer in uh, Paladins. It's the uh, latest game that Hi-Res released. And uh, he was really knowledgeable and, and we talked about um, you know the difference between working in a small company and a big company in a AAA studio where you have this different disciplines and you actually have to choose which one are you going to 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 right. go so um and we helped a couple of um 
students that uh, needed advice in their um, resume and also their their portfolio in general. It was not only portfolio review, it was also like code review. One of them had a, um, an algorithm, an AI algorithm, like an A-star that he implemented and he wanted us to um, shake his code. So yeah, actually it, it was a, a really nice experience. It feels great, you know, because at least for me, I feel like I don't have um, too much time in, in game development. For me, like two or three years is nothing. And I feel like I don't know anything. I, I still have to learn. And I don't know if I will <laughs> ever want to have this feeling, but I feel like I always need to learn more. Well, that's but, the thing. The more you learn, the, feel, the more you feel like you don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was, I don't know, great to see, hey, I, I've learned this much because I can help this uh, person that it just got out of college and doesn't even have a job yet to to see okay you have to do this this and that and and give them all the steps that you followed so far and that is so helpful for them it felt great to be able to help uh, those students that's a good point you made there too because that that goes into our kind of we're at 53 episodes you go all the way back to zero and we talk about how why we started the podcast and just in general the benefits of going to these uh events and networking stuff because we had the same experience and that's why we started this whole thing is because you go to these, if you haven't been to a, a, a conference or something like this before, a meetup or whatever it is, especially a conference though, game development can be such an insular experience. You're always inside your own head, you're doing stuff, you always feel like you're doing stuff wrong sometimes, you know, or it's like, it's fine, it's messy, but you just don't feel like you're just grade A in whatever you do, right? But the thing is, if you do it for a while and you keep getting experiences, especially if you get a job doing it, that stuff can help you with your confidence. But I, I bet you a lot of people going to conferences for the first time, they're like, they might feel out of place or like they don't belong there. And like you said, when you start talking to people, it's not like you're saying, oh, I'm better than these people, but you start realizing you deserve to be there. So it's like you realize, you find people that are just right there with you, you know, having the same problems. You get to talk to them. Like, oh, cool. I, yeah, I have that, you know, I have that experience too. Or you meet people, actually meet people that are asking you for advice. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like yeah. we, that's why we, you know, in Obina and Zach and I went to Unite in Seattle, we were talking to people. And a lot of that people that Unite Conference were people that had never used Unity before. Or they're looking, their business sent them out there, or the company sent them out there to investigate. And But we had been using it for like two years, every day, solid. So, you know, no matter what we think, like, well, we didn't make Gears of War 5 or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, but whatever, we, we have experience with it. So we had fun talking to people and just like helping them and like, oh, and we learned from so many people there. So that's what I would just say as a recommendation because sometimes you could i mean a lot of people you might feel social anxiety you might feel like it's not worth the money sometimes especially with the bigger ones but going there it's almost a ineffable quality it's like it really does help you feel part of just the game development community whether it's a local thing like this or just in in general it's it's such so valuable that everybody comes out of it going oh that was so great and feels so great you know so that's just my little PSA recommendation. <laughs> if you're feeling unworthy, go to that and you'll feel like you belong. Yeah, guys, if, if you're going to make games and you want to get into the uh, game development industry, you have to do networking and you have to go to these places because not only to to know, uh, to meet new people and people that can help you out, but also because you get like so much inspiration from these uh, right. talks and events. It's 
it's amazing when you are that, in, in that mindset and everybody's talking about making games and how they make it better and you have this much technology it's like you feel so pumped up that you you want to go back to your home and start working right. on a new game. <laughs> that's the that's the joke we always make. Every night we've been to, Zach starts coding three hours into it. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, Zach. And I was like, I'm surprised you didn't do it at this one. But this one, you had you had other business to attend to. Didn't that? You couldn't be coding, right? Right. So I had to give my talk. Oh, what was it about? Panel. So um, I got to do a talk on version control. Uh, and basically... Uh, the the pros and cons of different v- different version control systems, uh, whether or not you, you really what you really need to know about it going into the professional world, uh, things like that, and it was it was a lot of fun. I got to I got some cool people on my my panel. Um, I have the I have all the names right here. I have uh, let's see, uh, Stefan uh, Borden. Um, I can't remember where he worked at. Um, it was uh, Clint uh, DeRoyt, and I think he worked at uh, Thrust Interactive. Um, and then Edie, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but <laughs> but uh, she has worked for several different startup companies just getting things started up and, and doing a lot of the programming and a lot of the setup. And it, it was really, really interesting panel because we, we actually opened it up to the room to at, for some of the, the audience to ask questions and they have some really, really, really good questions like, um, what do you do if somebody's very, very selfish in their commits or just keeps overriding everybody else's work for their work? And that's, that's not something. That's yeah, a good question. <laughs> that's a really good question because that's something I haven't really thought about because I'm lucky enough to work at a place where everybody's like, oh, wait, I don't want to step on your stuff. What What's in your commit? Right. But you occasionally run across somebody like that. Um, but one of the, the the guys in the panel said, hey, you know what? Just set that off on a branch. You know, Make him his own personal branch and say, okay, you, you keep committing to your branch and then we'll go integrate that branch for you depending on how much right. you want to baby him. Because well, I think the Clint, the guy from uh, Thrust, was like, oh, yeah, no. Uh, actually, we're just going to probably fire you if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it all depends on, on your team's dynamic uh, for the, things like that. But it it was really fun to see see some of those questions and and really get a sense of what people want to know about that topic. Yeah, and I hope you ended every answer with. Also, you can listen to episode ten of the Debug Log Version Control One Hundred One. <laughs> <laughs> Refer to that. You just say that. That's your answer. No, I, I was. I just kept saying, "Get her done." Yeah, that's yeah. I'm just work. kidding. I never said that. Andrew just told that's me a to dumb say joke. That. What is that? Was really bad. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, it's also moderated by Josh, right? Josh yes, Skelton. Josh He's Kelton. a friend of the show, old friend, colleague too at one point. But he he actually helps organize some of those talks. So. He's a good guy. Works now. He does freelance game dev stuff too. So very cool, man. You guys are important. I don't know if I deserve to be on the show anymore. Sorry, man. All these accolades hey, and stuff. You're kicked out. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Bye. <laughs> Who's gonna edit the show? I hope Bean no, like, I will. Don't leave, don't yeah, leave. please don't leave. <laughs> all right. Well, so so all around, you guys like it. It's a good experience at Seeds this year. Absolutely. Yeah, You'd recommend anybody in the uh, southeast? I guess anybody near here. That's it. I mean, I guess every city has a big one, but this is starting to grow. That's what I felt like from you guys. I couldn't go. I, I was watching my daughter and other stuff. I didn't. Thought I didn't want her to ha- harass any developers <laughs> and bring her. But I, I, I got the feeling from you guys that it, it's really picking off and really getting cool. And 
the, the companies out here in this region. I mean, we're already we're, Atlanta's becoming a bur- burgeoning movie studio area. They shoot all the Marvel movies out here in almost every movie. So now it's cool that the game industry is catching up and they're starting to get a lot more work for devs out here. Oh yeah, it, I mean, there's there's loads of startups in, in Atlanta, Georgia now, and and it it's really evident there's a, there's a lot more skill and a lot more lore community than there was you know even two or three years ago so it's yeah, i guess in, in part is uh is growing because of the changes in the um game engines like unity is is uh expanding so more and more people know about it and now on real engine is free too so people can try it and it's really a testament too if you're starting your own studio and you really have a long-term vision of that stuff it's that all these companies we're talking about, like high res, the bigger ones out here now, like Tripwire, Xavier, all those things, they, they really started like 10 years ago. <laughs> and that, you know, the, the, the kind of thing out, the culture out here back then was like, there was pretty scant. There wasn't a lot of developers, but they just kept like, no, we want to have a game studio in this area. And if you do it and you, you participate in the community and you get involved and you get involved with everything going on, it starts to grow. You know, it really does it, the seeds. So, and like, it, it yeah. becomes a neat thing after a while. Yeah, but I, I definitely uh, love going to Siege. Uh, I would recommend everybody to go. And uh, it, it will just get better every year. Okay. All right. That's it. I think we're good for tonight. That's fine. So good. So good. Zach, tell us about our Facebook group. So the Debug Lounge, our Facebook group. Um, it's a... Super private Facebook, and by super private, I mean Exclusive. just request, <laughs> and uh, we'll add you. Um, BRB group, but yes, yeah, yeah. so it's where uh, a whole bunch of devs get together and just ask questions, and it's a really great community. So if you have any any you know problems or questions you have for for programming, you can just throw it up in there, and and people will generally respond back. I've actually been very impressed with the amount of uh, into uh, participation we've had with. Uh, with that group, it's it's really. I mean, by the time we get on there to answer the the last post, there's already four or five different posts on there, which is really really cool. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things that that we were talking uh, about this morning is how how much uh, help you get in in the group. Like, you just ask any question, and it's a very knowledgeable uh, group of people. You will get like six, twelve um, comments back. So. Yeah, I would definitely uh, say uh, go to Facebook and uh, ask us to to join the group, to join you to the group. And the group is called the Debug Lounge, and you can uh, so you can go on Facebook and ask to join there, or you can sign up for our um, newsletter on our website, and that will also uh, get you into the group. Yep, you can do that, uh, and also stay tuned in there. That's also where we post some fun stuff, but also. As we get back onto our Debug Lounge video show, we've, te- we've taken a couple months off this summer after we got started, but we're going to keep doing that. We kind of, that, 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 those shows are going to come in as we get people. We don't want to force that. So if people are interested in coming on and talking, we'll do it and we'll put one out. And so that's how it works. Um, so that's where you find out about that. Also, if you want to help us out, besides the iTunes we mentioned up top, you can go to patreon.com slash the debug log. And we also have, already have a few patrons in there. We're going to look to that this fall. We're going to be adding some cool ga- Google Hangouts. And Zach is, you know, chomping at the bit to add a game night in there once a month or something where we have a fun. We started a Steam group, by the way. Yeah, so we have the Debug League Steam group. So 
through the Patreon, we're going to add some higher rewards in there to actually um, just have fun, make a little club of that. And, you know, every now and then we get together and just hang out. You know, that's what most of these things we create. They're just about having fun and getting right together and hanging out. So check it out. It's patreon.com slash the debug log. But, uh, Andrew, if they don't know what Patreon is, uh, could you explain it? Uh, you just go in there and give us money. <laughs> it's like it's like a Kickstarter thing. But well you don't, explained. It's like Kickstarter, but you donate once a month. It's like a it's very similar to that, but it's more of just like an ongoing support kind of thing. Think about subscription. So as we get more and more stuff in there, we're going to try to. We only have like a, a low level uh, level in there now because we don't have we're not offering anything. But as we get more stuff of value to you guys and you think it's worth it, we'll put higher levels in there, and you can guys can decide and support us at those levels, and we'll. Try to make it worth your while. We'll kill ourselves to make it worth your while. All right, guys, that was good. Thank you for that report live from the field of Siege 2016, Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, Eduardo and Zach reporting. Back to the studio. <laughs> yeah, back to the studio, <laughs> you and Ryan. Oh, and Ryan. <laughs> guys, guys. <Get laughs> uh, technical difficulties. Yeah, they fall asleep. <laughs> All right. Well, until next week, you can uh, find me on Twitter. I'm at Andrew underscore Curry. That's C-U-R-R-I-E. I'm Wookie Jumper sick. Oh, no. Wookie Jumper 42. There we go. <laughs> I'm at Eduardo CF 1989. Go download the Hangman on Android. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Download the Hangman. I recently uh, made an update to the game to fix uh, a couple of bugs. Well, not bugs, features. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Planned, planned updates. That's what your books <laughs> And that yeah, is the hangman, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. The definitive the hangman. hangman. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the only one? The other ones are just clones of mine. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I've, been, I, I've been getting a, a bunch of downloads, and I will really appreciate um, the people that commented and, and rated the game in, in Google Play. So thank you very much, guys. All right. Well, until next time, we'll see you later. See you. See ya. Bye.